Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. On today's show, we have with us Scott Peters, four-time CEO and board member with a 30-year track record of turnarounds and growing companies, the largest of which he grew to over $500 million in annual revenues, and Keith McNulty, now interim COO of the Woodard, uh, Woodard Consulting, who has also been with Scott on a 10-year journey. They're, uh, they've been doing lots of collaborations in there. So great to have you guys on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So as always, we like to start our show by asking our guests, what are the key trends that you think are really important for our CEO listeners to know about that are happening in your industry or in your area of expertise? Scott, you want to start off and and tell us a few of the things that you think are important for us to be aware of? Okay, great. Uh, Here's here's what I'd say first is that... uh, a lot of people hear about this. It's the uh, this what I would call cybersecurity, and most of the time they hear about it, they hear about a hacking going on in the in the news or in the paper or whatever they see. Um, a lot of times, it's public companies that get the billing, right? The big public companies. You've everyone's heard of you know Target and the Home Depot and maybe Chase and and, and others, but but they're not the only ones that get hacked. Um, what happens is a lot of these. Companies, it could be small companies, privately owned companies. Uh, information gets gets taken. It could be medical information, personal information, financial information, whatever it be, could be get gets taken by these you know hackers, right? And if you think about it, you know a lot of these studies out there say, well, why is this happening so much? You know, the, the hackers are smart. There's no doubt, and they know what they're doing. But they get an awful lot of help, and I think that help is kind of unintended, meaning people get inappropriate access to to companies' data. And you'd say, well, well, how does that happen? You know, it's things like, you know, what you'd call um, abandoned accounts, someone, whether, or, or orphaned accounts, someone may have worked at a company, leaves, they leave that email address up, and it's getting no activity. Hackers look at that, see that, and say, I'm going to take that over. And now I'll start using it to get other things in the company, right? Or it could be too much access given to someone because they're a C-level, right? Let's give the CFO access to everything in our company. Well, maybe the CFO doesn't need benefits information on an individual in the company. So somehow they don't, go to, they don't use that, but someone else hacks in and uses that to get to that. So at the end of the day, we sometimes help these hackers get into the company and get the information that we don't want them to have. So if you if you think about it, I think there was a Verizon study that's that's done just about every year on what they call these these type of uh, I guess uh, cyber incidents, right? Most of them come from what you would call, or at least a, a majority of them, from what you'd call inappropriate access. And there's the thing about that is, you know, I'm not an IT person. Um, but you don't need to be an IT person to, to, to go to someone else and say, hey, look, audit this for me and tell me if you know, we're not unprotected or, or what could we do to be better protected, right? I mean, there's companies out there. Um, there's a company moving from Boston to Atlanta um, right as we speak. I think it's called Curion. They, they have identity access management and governance software that can you know, help you with this kind of stuff. Um, There's two pretty named companies right in the Atlanta area. Um, May not be owned, they're not owned by themselves anymore. They were bought. But if you think of ISS, Mm -hmm. it's it's probably, you know, a mile from here. And SecureWorks, which is only a couple miles from here, both of them, this is the kind of stuff they can help you with. You know, and so you don't have to be an expert at it, but you should bring others in to kind of help you. And because it costs of this are, are just tremendous. If you th- Why yeah. is it that you think that that's, that's a, such a key trend? Why do you think that that, you know, as a, having been the CEO of so many companies, why is that the one thing that you, you pick? Well, I think if, if you think about it for a minute, it's, it's all affecting, okay? In other words, it doesn't just affect you and your company and, 
and, and reputational problems and things like that and, and what it can do to your, your financials if, if this happens to you. But if you think about it, we all serve customers, whether that's a business customer or a consumer, we serve customers. And when the customer gets hit, you know, this is where you know, a lot of damage can be done. People's identity can be stolen. Their financial future could be threatened because of this. You know, non-public information gets out and people can get hurt. So, you know, if you, if you want to run a profitable company that has high, you know, employee satisfaction, high customer satisfaction, this is something you want to make sure is not a problem. Now, is the motive for the hacking incidents in the large public companies that you mentioned the same as for the smaller companies that may be experiencing hacking incidents? I think, I think you know, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, it's hard to kind of understand what the motive might be. Sometimes they use this for their own uses. Sometimes they use it to sell it, to get, you know, it could be used for, for even leads, lead generation that people don't want to be part of. You know, um, if you think about it, um, it's kind of a another version of kind of what we used to call spamming before, you know, where, where you would get, if you, if you think of uh, earlier days of email when there weren't spam filters on, on everything, if you think about it, you could get email from anybody or anything offering you any product or anything, right? Um, so if you think about it, the same sort of thing can happen here. You could, you could become... Um, a lead for someone else that you don't want to be part of, or it, it, it could be, you know, so data that's sold to, to someone for, you know, illegal purposes, you know, cr criminal purposes, you know, money gets moved from people's accounts. It gets, it's, it gets moved from corporate accounts, but it also gets, you know, moved from people's, you know, personal accounts. Right. So, right. so the, the, the motives I think could be all over the place. And I think, you know, public companies get hurt, but, you know, if you think about it, a public company may have a little more, um, how do I say, leeway because they may have more money and, 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 and uh, you know, cash on hand or, or, or value than a smaller company. Something like this could take a smaller company down. Right, 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 right. So just shifting gears a little bit, Keith, from your perspective, what are the key trends that you think CEOs need to, need to be considering just given your experience? Yeah, sure, Soini, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. <clears throat> it, the trend that I am looking at constantly and really for the past kind of 10 years is, you know, what's the right level of strategic planning uh, for a company? And it, it varies by company size, whether a large company or small company. But in particular, for the small to medium-sized company, what's, what's the right type of strategic planning uh, and strategic management program? Because <clears throat> a lot of larger companies uh, tend to have more developed, more mature strategic planning functions and can really do more work in the uh, development of their, their strategy. <clears throat> For a smaller company, it's a lot more of a resource-constrained environment. Right. So there's a lot more challenges, and you tend to be a lot more tactically focused. And so <clears throat> in my previous work with Scott and uh, in, in a few of the kind of smaller to medium-sized companies, you know, one of the things that I was involved in doing was leading a strategic planning process. So <clears throat> it, there's no one size fits all, but there's a lot of principles that can apply to companies of various sizes. Um, <clears throat> you know, magazines like Fast Company or Wired will touch on, you know, strategic planning and, you know, classical strategic planning versus, you know, how do we do it in the 2015 right. era? <clears throat> and, and a lot of them tend to focus on, more strategy work on the fly to make sure that the the strat they call it strategy execution as opposed to strategy planning typically um, the, the the risk in that is that <clears throat> you know strategy and tactics go hand in hand and both are are critical but if you tend to be more tactically focused then you're not necessarily working on the right things you're not necessarily prioritizing the work of the business in the right way mm -hmm. so so this is an area uh, I've been spending a lot of time at it's what I'm I'm doing some of that now we're, we're doing some strategic planning work for a small company and um, it's 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 a very really important topic I think so I I mean of course this is near and dear to my my heart because this is one of the things that that my company does for clients how do you I'm very interested to know to, to know one of the key complaints that I find, um, at least when I'm dealing with CEOs, when you're talking about doing strategic planning, 
is is the resource constraint. If I'm going to spend all this time and effort into a strategic planning exercise, that's time and effort I could be spending, or even dollars, right? I could be spending in lead generation or something that's going to have a more direct impact on the bottom line. That's certainly a complaint that I hear either in their behavior because they won't do it, or you know, I hear that actually um, they actually voice that complaint. So, how do you go about quantifying or justifying the value of the time that that you get your clients to invest in the strategic planning process? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, why I have a radio show. Absolutely. <laughs> one of the, I mean, one of the questions that applies to um, sort of when you're looking at any either initiative or new client relationship or new line of business, whether you're a small company or large company, is what does the business case look like? And so certainly as you, if you can weave sort of a, a, a quantified measurement of, uh, you know what the expected output is uh, before you do it. That's great, and and the larger companies have more resources, and they can do that kind of development work and quantify the the use of of that time. So in a smaller company where you only have maybe a handful of people, and as you say, you know, we're focused on lead generation and converting those leads into actual business. That's going to lead to dollars. Well, you don't necessarily that you as a business leader, you're either going to choose to be more strategic about how you're running your business or you're going to be more tactically focused. It's 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 a challenge. There's no doubt and I think every small business leader has that question you know, whether they're aware of it or not or whether they're consciously dealing with it or not. It's there. You know, how much time do I spend on strategy or versus tactics because I I want to chase that business over there. Um, I think that's going to grow my business, but maybe if I step back and I pull people out of their jobs for a day or two and run a more formal or traditional style strategic planning process, well, maybe we're all going to understand each other a little bit better. I'm going to understand what the rest of the team is thinking better. And, and maybe we're going to realize that this pool of leads over here is less uh, strategic, it's less important, and it's less profitable to my business than those leads over there. So <clears throat> it is ultimately a state of mind. Mm -hmm. And have, are you finding that there's anything... So, Because planning is a perennial issue, right? It's always there. Um, but are there any new methodologies or processes or recommendations that you have that might be interesting? Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to disappoint you because I tend to be more traditional and, and more conservative in, in, my, uh, in, in my approach to this. And, and the reason I say that is because I, I just found that, you know, we've been very successful in applying a very uh, traditional disciplined approach, which is to say a more formal uh, program uh, having off-site meetings, you know, documenting, uh, you know, what the right uh, initiatives are, what the strategy should be, and then going through the the process of prioritizing. And it can be uh, it can be very demanding. It can be painful for a variety of people. people. Not everybody enjoys it or or buys into the process. That's true. But but in my experience, you know, that type of exercise is you know tends to be more more successful. <clears throat> there certainly are uh, you know more modern ways of adapting strategic planning and strategy execution just into the normal operating rhythm of companies. So, for example, <clears throat> if a new opportunity comes in the door for, uh, for a company to consider, I mean, we have, we've got this potential client relationship, for example, um, you know, we'll, we'll do sort of a strategy analysis on that. And, you know, as we're framing up, you know, what is what's my expected return on this? And, you know, why do I like this particular opportunity? The, the downside of, of doing that, in other words, the kind of iterative, more on-the-fly approach, is that you're not necessarily comparing it against all of the other uses of your time, the other initiatives, the other clients. You know, should I be spending more time trying to get more business out of my existing clients or chasing this, this new client? It's, um, <clears throat> I just found that the, um, the traditional approaches prove more better results ultimately. Great. Scott? A, a couple things I'd add to this too, and, and they're, they're interesting. You know, in business, you hear so many times how people will say, well, that company is siloed. How many times have we heard that in business? I mean, you hear it all the time. I think when you do strategic planning, good strategic planning, you can't be siloed mm -hmm. because everyone will understand what everyone else is doing. That's the first thing. The second thing I'd, I'd say is, I want to mention something, a, a former, you know, boss, you know, he's a CEO and, and mentor and, and friend of mine, uh, Rich House, used to be the CEO of Compu Credit Corporation, which now is, I, I believe, called Atlanticus here in Atlanta. 
He used to say all the time to us, don't confuse activity with productivity. And that really kind of says it all. Because if you think about it, a lot of companies are working on things. People are coming to work. They're doing something. The question is, are they doing the right thing that's going to be productive for the company? And that's why I've become a big fan of having someone on my team like Keith. Because you, you have to have someone that says, are we working on the, on the most effective thing for our company and for our customer and for our kind of product set? I mean, that can, that can become, you know, if you think about it, you could have competing lines of business within your own company or competing initiatives that could take you kind of away from profitability or away from customer satisfaction or whatever. So you've got to always kind of be mindful of that. Yeah, so I speak to CEO peer groups all the time, right? Um, and if I walk into a room, typically I ask how many of you have a current documented, actionable business plan or strategic plan for the for this year. And in any given room, it's usually like a third to 50% who actually do have them, right? So Scott, as a CEO, right, four times, why is it that you've chosen to do it? You may obviously made the investment in somebody like Keith as a resource, you know, that's a big investment and a big commitment to the strategic planning process. Why do you think that you chose to do it versus the two-thirds to 50% who don't? Well, it's interesting. Um, years ago, when I was in business school, the um, president of Nordstrom was speaking to our class. And someone asked him, you know, why do you think you've been so successful? And he said, well, that's easy, two words, good decisions. And the individual asked the question said, well, that kind of begs the question, how, how have you been able to make all these good decisions? He said, well, that's easy. Bad decisions. <laughs> okay? And I guess what I'm saying is I've learned over the years, um, you know, I wasn't always a CEO. I mean, I came up, you know, in operational roles, financial roles, whatever that is. And what you learn is that, uh-oh, if we had planned this better, we would have executed this thing much, you know, it would have had a much greater uh, result, right? So I think... Uh, you know, it's kind of when you're when you're when you're kind of moving up the ladder, so to speak. You say, "Man, if I was the head guy, I'll definitely do that." Now, a lot of times, you say that and and you don't do it. But in this case, to me, you absolutely have to start off with a plan. You know, it, it's almost like you know. I know that you know guys get kidded about not wanting to see maps for directions. I can tell you, <laughs> it, it, it's the same thing I'd say about CEOs. You need to have some type of map to guide you on your journey, or, or I think you're going to become, you know, it, it's, it's going to be difficult to get to success. Now, can you guys give me an instance of maybe one of the companies that you've worked with together where you actually came in and did the strategic plan and that spurred you to, to get the kind of results that you, you got? Uh, well, we could pick a, uh, one there, minute. There's uh, a few. I, I would say, you know. See, that's a great, like, you know, you oh, repeated success. I mean, that's awesome. I think, you know, interestingly enough, um, we took over a um, reverse mortgage company here in Atlanta in 2009 that was, you know, by their, their the, the owners, uh, Guggenheim Partners, uh, or Guggenheim Capital in New York and Chicago said, you know, look, we're hemorrhaging dollars here, okay? And if you think about it, they'd hemorrhage dollars for a few years, and you say, well, okay, you have to take this thing over. So you'd say, well, what is your approach? Well, I think... Obviously, you need to do an assessment of the, you know, the situation. And when I do an assessment, um, and Keith's worked with me on this you know, every time, you kind of look at every area, not just some people t tend to you know, co you know, concentrate on sales or, or operations or, what, or IT or whatever it is. Um, but I think in our case, we, we, we look at every area we can. And, and where we don't have expertise, like I'm not an IT guy, for example. I've said it before. I'll bring in someone, you know, like an outside group, maybe performance improvement partners we've used before, or um, we might use a law firm to look at our compliance or, or whatever. But the point is you want to have people do a self-assessment, uh, the, the groups, and then you want to do your own assessment and then maybe a third-party assessment. As part of that, a lot of stuff falls out, right? Once you've got all this data, okay, what do you do with it? And that's where you say, okay, Let's put the strategic plan. In other words, you have all this stuff that says we, we need to do this, 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 and this. Okay, 
in what order? What's the priority? Um, so you sit down with everyone and, and in a formal kind of setting and say, what does everybody think? You know, it's not just one head that does this. It's many smart people get together and say, what do we think? And then that way, when you get everyone kind of participating, you've got buy-in from everyone. And now everyone knows, you don't have to go out with a bunch of communication. Everyone knows the direction you're going in and, and how you're going to get there, which, which is the strategic plan. Now, Keith, you were you want to talk about the the um, reverse mortgage company. So, what did what did the strategic planning process look like, and what were the results? Yeah, well, the process is as Scott said. <clears throat> well, both both with Generation Mortgage and with Ability Resources, a different company owned by a different private equity firm that we were also teamed up to uh, to do a turnaround. It, it starts with an assessment, as Scott was saying, which is you know <clears throat> each of the leaders is doing a. Uh, an assessment of their own group, just as a to form a baseline of what what's there. But then from there, <clears throat> we organize a basically an annual uh, meeting in which all of the leadership is is involved and in participating and preparing materials. And by by doing that, it it basically forces everyone to really think carefully about their their own area and how they want to share it um, with the other leaders. And so then we'll we'll run the process. Um, you know, have lots of discussions about the company, uh, what the initiative should be, prioritizing the future, and then developing a plan. And so, yeah, one of my, I want to share with you, one of my sort of favorite comments about strategic planning was uh, Dwight Eisenhower said that, um, you know, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. So when you talk about typically maybe half to two-thirds of CEOs don't actually have plans, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The question is, what kind of planning do they do? And so the way I read the quote, and of course, Eisenhower is certainly credited with running one of the most important strategic planning processes of all time with D-Day. <clears throat> it's not so much what's in the document. as long I mean, the document should reflect what the thinking of the group is. It's the exercise that the group of people actually go through to understand each other, uh, understand the business, understand you know how that other leader on the other side of the table is thinking about their own operation, so that when we collectively set priorities, that you know we're doing it as a group and it actually is a team effort. It's not just you know one person or or two people. It's it's the entire team. So it's it's the planning exercise itself. The document should reflect what that team dynamic results in. Um, I do want to I want to add one other. Uh, point to that sure. from <clears throat> from ability resources. One of the things that jumped out from the the planning, the first strategic planning meeting that we had, um, <clears throat> we had done the assessment. We had various meetings. We're sitting in a room with the management team, about twenty people, and this is a long-term care insurance company. So it's a fairly complex uh, insurance business. And one of the things that Scott is very big on is is process and metrics. <clears throat> and so we're talking about the operating metrics for this company in the tr strategic planning meeting. And so we didn't really have a dashboard at the time when, when we showed up. So we were in the process of building one and talking about how we were going to go about doing it. And the the CFO basically said, well, you know, how do you define what a claim is? Because I think I can think of about 15 different definitions of the word claim. And so the, the reason it's important is like if somebody sends an email or if you have a, have a one-off conversation about that, it's one thing. But if the entire 20-person management team is wrestling with, oh, there's, there's 15 different definitions for, for a claim, <clears throat> it sort of sets the tone for how you go about working with the entire group to really define you know, what it is that's, that's important. What should we as a group be tracking? So it, 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 it leads to sort of group the group thinking differently and hopefully better yeah and so scott how did things turn out for generation mortgage and ability so let's think about this for a minute when we took over uh generation mortgage you know i'm not i i don't know that i'm at liberty to tell the exact numbers but let's talk about in terms here the company was losing money in 2000 you know six seven eight and and nine about at a, at a clip of about 12 to 15 million somewhere in that range let's say and, you know, a lot of other things. Didn't have process, systems issues, morale issues, a lot of things. So let's, let's kind of fast forward and say over a two-year period what happened. The company's revenue grew eight and a half times, okay, which is 
in at least eight and a half times, which is incredible if you think about that. So top line grew. So a lot of strategic things had to happen um, in the sales group. Our pro we became profitable very, very quick within, you know, I would say six to eight months. So you think about that from, from not profitable to profitable. And, and when we're not talking about a small amount of money. So you, you, we went into, you know, as high as, you know, maybe 30 on the, on the plus side, 30 million. So you say that, that's a pretty big turnaround. And so, so, so financially, we did very well. Um, we grew from, you know, market share doubled. We grew from 11th to 3rd in the industry. And think about this. Some of our competition are names that you've heard of before. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, MetLife, Genworth. These are companies that are much, were much bigger than Generation Mortgage. So we had to have some tactics that, that we used to be able to compete with, with the big, big folks. But not only that, you, know, you, you have to talk about customer satisfaction. And you know, customer satisfaction there, um, we, we won a bunch of awards. Uh, be, had the top rating from Better Business Bureau, and uh, which is A plus, and won a bunch of awards: community service, customer satisfaction, business ethics. When you, when you sweep those awards, obviously you've done well. And it's a credit to you know how hardworking you know those employees were. So I can't say enough about you know kind of the results there. Ability, a, a little different story. Very good results. Uh, but if you think about it, you know, a long-term long care insurance of the insurances is probably the most difficult to administer. And if you say, you know, why is that? You know, in life insurance, if someone dies, you know, you pretty much get a death certificate. You've proven they've died and you pay off the beneficiary, okay? In long-term care insurance, if you think about it through all the years, there wasn't – there used to just be home health care and nursing homes, Right? That's what we'd all grown up with. Then, well, then you interject something in the middle called assisted living. So if you go back to contracts, old contracts, they didn't have assisted living in there. So people who went to an assisted living facility didn't have coverage. And they said, well, the problem is the insurance company. Well, no, the problem is the, 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 the contract had to be kind of updated. So if you think about that, that, that was a big difficulty. But despite all the things that we faced there, everything from compliance to, um, you know, lawsuits and all that kind of stuff and, and, and no process and things like that, you know, we were, were very successful in, in, in building that company, you know, kind of improving it uh, very rapidly and successfully selling it to a buyer that was very excited about it. Okay, so, so the insurance company did well, the reinsurance company did well, but, and the third-party administrator there it actually was called Ability Resources, Inc., if you think about it, the savings, you know, going from unprofitable to profitable, um, you know, all of the process improvements. I mean, I, I counted just in, in the operations unit in about a six-month period, 129 different process improvements. If you think about that, 129, I mean, that's a lot of, you know, improvements. We're not talking about, you know, moving a glass from one place to another. You're talking about changing a system. You're talking about changing how you relate to your customer. You're talking about how you comply with, you know, government regulations and things like that. So, you know, again, very happy with the results. But, again, I'm not surprised by that. And it's not about, you know, Keith and my ability and things like that and the leadership team. It, it's, it's we did use things that are proven, you know, process improvement, process management, strategic planning, um, prioritization of things. I mean, those, are, those things are kind of the – the blocking and tackling that goes into success. You know, it's so, so it's not about as much about the people as it was about, you know, we used proven methodologies that companies like GE yeah. use. Yeah. So you guys obviously know each other well. How long have you known each other? Since about 2006. 2006, so 10 years. Wow. And have you, how many um, companies have you worked together on? <clears throat> would be we've worked together at four companies uh scott's hired me three times and just over the last year we've been doing some work for for private equity firms in the in the wireless services space so so even more than four companies i guess yeah over 10 years yeah, and, and some consulting at, kind of added on to that right so so and again i i think what it is is you know if you have a good mix and you work well together and, and we don't have the same sort of skill set we have very different ones which i think it's everyone brings something different to the game that it makes for a very good 
partnership, I think. Now, do you guys have the rest of the team, or is it just like, do you have other people that you brought along with you? Like, I know sometimes the CEO will bring other people along with them along the way, or is it? Sure. Is we, it, yeah. In, in fact, it's interesting because I tend to take, you know, people that have, have been successful before, I, I tend to use them again. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're going to give the ball to someone who gets it across the goal line, uh, uh, compliance folks, I, I brought in somebody that I'd known. Uh, she came in and did a great job. Uh, Melanie Rollo, a lady here in Atlanta, uh, did a great job uh, as our chief uh, legal officer, general counsel, and, and compliance officer. I brought in, it's kind of interesting too, I'm not as much about your resume and where you might have gone to school as I am about what you can do every mm -hmm. day. So if you think about it, there's someone uh, that I can think of here in Atlanta that if you think about it, we owned, he and I owned a residential building company together. Right now, that gentleman, his name is Mike Thomas, is, I think, the lead IT person at Generation Mortgage. So if you think about that, going from building homes to coming in and running all of IT for a reverse mortgage company, that's pretty huge change. Right. And, and you know, would I use him again? Definitely. He, he, you know, he got the job done. But financial folks I've used, um, other process folks... Um, we've used we we brought I brought people over from that that were very did a great job with us at at CompuCredit um, and other companies. So yeah. So what does it take to have this kind of I think long-standing business relationship that really seems like you guys really have supported each other in careers and in multiple successes and things like that. So. Is it just luck, or what is it that you think has really made this relationship so fruitful for both of you, Keith? Yeah, luck is always a part of it, I think, any good relationship, but there's obviously more to it than that. <clears throat> when I met Scott at uh, CompuCredit uh, about 10 years ago, um, it, it, you know, we, we had some common experience in our backgrounds. I mean, he's from California originally. I went to college in California. He spent time in the Northeast. Uh, I'm from the Northeast originally. He he worked for the government. I worked for the government earlier, you know, you know right out of college, basically. And so we had some common points uh, in our backgrounds, but then also in, in terms of how we uh, see business, in terms of you know aiming for results, but treating people right, and sort of similar value system as well. I mean, those are all kind of important uh, sort of uh, things. But <clears throat> also, you know, maybe like the first trip that Scott and I did together for, for, uh, for work, for CompuCredit, um, we were going to see a, a prospective client, and um, we, we had reviewed a contract. Uh, we were asked to review a contract so that you know, we all get, this, get the terms right, and we got there, and the, the leader that we were with was like, uh, okay, so are we ready to sign the contract? And, and the client was like, yeah, sure. And Scott, looked at, Scott and I looked at each other, and we were like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a lot in this, in this deal that's not done yet. So, uh, so that was sort of you know one of our first uh, you know in meetings together in business uh, at CompuCredit. So you know, but but since then you know as we've worked together, it's really about um, it's it's definitely um, about business. It's about achieving results, um, the performance, uh, achieving the growth, or in, in several cases the turnaround and and achieving the goals. I mean, it's it's a, sort of a, an achievement mentality ultimately, <clears throat> and then beyond that, it's just. You know, you want to you want to work with people who you can trust and who you can can rely on, and you know, um, you know, we, yeah, we have that. So, uh, at a few different companies, so and it, so it, it is luck uh, partly. Yeah, and so what happens when you guys don't necessarily see eye to eye on all the time? I can't imagine that over the course of ten years there hasn't been a moment when you don't see things exactly the same way. So how does that work? Well, you know, it's interesting. I I, I um. That that's quite often. It happens quite often. <laughs> I mean, uh, and 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 I, and and I'm very. I thank God for that. Quite frankly, you know, if if you only have one head, you know, one person is is making all the decisions and everything, and and doing them in a vacuum, that's a problem. Um, Keith is is not afraid to tell me, you know, whatever my title was, president, CEO, whatever, or both. He was never afraid to say, "Hey, look, this is wrong. You should uh, this this we're, we're doing this wrong." We shouldn't do this, or I think we're thinking about this the wrong way. And 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 actually, the way I kind of picked him when I was at CompuCredit was he would ask questions at meetings. Uh, the way I, I observed him asking questions at meetings that were difficult questions for people to answer. 
they were the right questions to ask, but they were difficult and they had to be asked. But a lot of people would sit around the room and not want to ask those questions. Keith had to ask them because he was part of our, our uh, mergers and acquisitions group. And we're talking about buying companies. You're talking about spending millions and millions of dollars and, and having an effect on what the, re the return is to the shareholders. You better make sure you're doing the right things. And, and I noticed his, his critical thinking was very, very good. And I said, you know, this guy's an M&A guy, but boy, we could use him on the operating side. And so that's kind of how we, we did things. I moved him over uh, on some stuff. And then, you know, when we left CompuCredit on the next thing at Nortel, took him to that because he had been successful from Nortel to Generation Mortgage, Generation Mortgage to Ability. So, you know, that's kind of, but, but constantly, I mean, uh, you know, it's not like he says, hey, you don't know what you're doing. But I, I kind of, that you want people to tell you what they think, not what they want you to hear, right, or what you want to hear. So, no, it, it happens a bit. And, <laughs> yeah, all true, but, <laughs> but as I, well, no, just from my perspective, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, you know, I dissent with, uh, you know, some of the things that Scott says, um, you know, sometimes, you know, just one-on-one, -on -one, but sometimes in a group, uh, and, and, he, and he hasn't fired me, so, you know, so that's a good thing, right? <clears throat> but yeah, like like Scott's saying, it's it's not uh, it's just to have another perspective on on the situation, right? And hopefully leads to a more uh, a better decision ultimately. So, but and so so I mean, he gets that, he appreciates that. So I mean, that's I guess why he hasn't fired me when I disagree with him. Yeah, yeah I think it's interesting. I think most CEOs, if you think about it, and they've had success, understand they need to listen to their team. And I mean, it's. I remember years and years ago being at a company that you, you now know as Mass Mutual. We had this program where we would give bonuses to people who saved the company money. Okay? They, they would get a portion of the, of the annual savings. It's interesting. Someone asked me, why was I having lunch with this low-level individual in the company, a, an entry-level person? And I said, well, she saved us $90 million with her idea. She actually came up to me one day, this, this entry-level accountant, and said, you know, can I talk to you about uh, an idea I have? Sure. And she came, she came over to me and said, I don't understand why we tested this system and did this and then left the same things on the, on the system that we knew were wrong, on the, on the final system that we knew were wrong. And I said, what are you talking about? And when she went in to explain it, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing and I went back to the other to, to other folks, and guess what? She was right. Uh, so, so I guess what I'm saying is, you never know who comes up with the great idea or who comes up with a, a, a suggestion that can help your company be incredibly successful. So, I think you know all CEOs understand. You know, if you're being if you're successful, you need to listen to to your 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 team. Yeah. And so, as you guys look forward to the next thing. Um, what are what are going to be the first you know three to five things that you first initiatives that you're going to take care of, that you're going to take on? So you mentioned the assessment, um, but is there anything else that you're going to do? What what is your program when you when you take over a company? Well, it, it and it's interesting and and you know we've kind of developed this it's 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 a system for managing that we've developed over a period of time that's that's worked. Okay, I mean back in the days of, you know when I was at GE Capital. You know, I learned a lot of things around this Six Sigma thing. Now, I like Six Sigma, and it's great, and it's worked a lot of places. I don't think we we use the same system, and it's it's not because there's something wrong with Six Sigma. It's because in a lot of companies, you don't have the liberty or the uh, of time and, and, and money that we had when I was at GE Capital, right? So um, you have to kind of, not that you cut corners, but you do things a little bit more efficiently. So I think, you know, when we do the assessment, we're going to find out things are wrong, but we're, in every single time we've done, done this, we've implemented process management. So you'd say, okay, what do you mean by that? That means every single process in the company you want to have mapped. We have books from several companies that we still have that have detailed maps of sales process, billing process, order to cash, whatever it is, you know, um, human resource processes. I, I, I mean, this isn't just about the operating areas. This is about support areas as well. So um, we, we put in, we have process maps, and then we attach metrics to those processes. In other words, 
if, if, if you have a process that's, that's, let's say it's ordered to cash, you're going to obviously want to know what your cycle time is there, right? Mm-hmm. That, that might be something. So there's a metric you'd have. And then the, the, kind of the third piece of that is initiatives that you take in a prioritized order to, to get those metrics to go in the right direction, right? So if you think about that, you know, process mapping metrics and, and initiatives, those things are going to lead you to kind of victory. And, and they go hand in hand with kind of a, um, a, a strategic plan. And so that's kind of what we've always done. And what you, you want to do is you want to identify the gaps between where you are and where you need to be and figure out that plan of how you're going to get from A to B, right? So that's kind of, you know, and Keith, you might want to add to that. Yeah. yeah so Keith, how well, does the strategic planning thing layer on top of what Scott just described? Sure. Yeah. So again, <clears throat> starts with an assessment and then deploying uh, process management initiatives. I'm sorry, uh, process management, then metrics, then initiatives, right? And certainly the, the planning, it, it obviously depends on the situation and, and what where that the company is at. Uh, when you start this process. So the strategic plan is what allows you to determine what these specific things are going to be? It, it can, yeah. And it d- again, it depends on where the company is at. But just generically speaking, um, a lot of small to mid-sized companies are, are very sort of process immature, and they haven't really defined the operating metrics. So if you assume that you're kind of starting from scratch, then yeah, the strategic planning uh, process becomes the foundation upon which you you build um, this entire system for managing. But certainly on the strategic initiatives, identifying them, um, fleshing them out, developing them, and then prioritizing them, that's absolutely a part of the strategic planning process. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing about what we're talking about, and, and we certainly believe that this, this approach, this method has proven successful regardless of industry, <clears throat> The, there's an important uh, point here, which is, and Scott uh, alluded to it in terms of um, even the, these are principles that apply to every business, but it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all. Every company is different. And the Lean Six Sigma point is is perfect because the Lean Six Sigma is right for a lot of larger companies. It's not right for a lot of smaller to medium-sized companies. But the principles, the discipline <clears throat> behind process management and process improvement uh, can be used in any company of any size, and so the implementation uh, is it's it's really kind of an art. But but smaller mid sized companies can absolutely benefit from a process management uh, mentality and philosophy. And if you build it into the the operating rhythm of the company, you're going to run things better. Right. So one question I have about this m- the metrics and initiatives piece that I've seen is even if a lot of CEOs and and C levels even if they don't have the data, they ha- probably have an, at least an intuitive sense or, you know, let's say it's 80 to, you know, 75 to 80, 90 percent accurate of what's happening, even if they, you know, might be um, thumb sucking it some of the times. But how do you guys develop the initiatives that actually produce the effective results? Because, uh, you know, you can think that you're doing something or you take on some you know, uh, marketing campaign or whatever, social media campaign to improve your lead generation or whatever it is. Uh, how do you know that it's going to be effective or do you? Great. So <clears throat> before I take the initiatives question, I want to comment on the, um, the metrics point that you made. So maybe the CEO has a, an intuitive grasp of 80% of the metrics, or at least the CEO thinks that they do. But maybe his his team, the people who are advising him or her in that situation, they don't necessarily see the metrics the same way. They're not reading it off the paper. They're just sort of doing it in their head. If there's not a disciplined process, then the CEO might not be able to to communicate effectively with uh, that person's direct reports and, mm-hmm. and be all speaking the same language. So it's really important to to develop that, at least uh, in our view. I agree. But, but in terms of... In the, my view, too. Great. In terms of the planning process yielding the right initiatives, well, it's certainly about getting input from everybody on the, on the senior team, everybody involved. So so everything is effectively on the table. Ultimately, in, in any company, it's it's the, the CEO and the board of directors who set the direction of the company. So they're, they're the folks making the decision. But you want to frame up the dialogue in a way that you've you've got the best thinking from everybody in the room, everybody at the table. It's 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 out there. It's it's on paper. It's it's open for discussion. So, the way you 
the theory is you want to make the best decision possible for the company. <clears throat> and at least in my view, and I, I think it's our view, is that by by getting the best effort, the best input from everybody involved, you're, you're going to have you're going to have the right information to make the right calls. It, it really comes down to for me for uh, a couple things: data and subject matter experts. In other words, if someone comes in and says we ought to do this, if at all you can get data around that, you should do that. A lot of times people say, well, we don't have data. We have, we do. Uh, you know, a lot of times, that's why we have to school people on what, you know, when we're developing these metrics. Or be disciplined enough to wait and go get the data. Right. Because some people, it's kind of funny. If you think of the, and I, without getting too technical here, if you think of, um, you know, what, what, what Six Sigma started out with, a, a thing called DMAIC, Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, Control. They, they, you know, as an executive at GE, they used to have us teach some of these classes. And what I used to say to people all the time is you want to go through every step, define the problem, measure it, analyze it, come up with the improvements, and then monitor it slash control it, right? Because they said what people do a lot of times is they define the problem and they go right to improvement. And I said that will cause you to die because you don't have data on to In other words, they would say, oh, we have this problem. You, you made the, you asked the question. We have this problem. Oh, here's the answer. That may not be the answer. The data could show that that's the wrong answer, or the wrong thing to take on right now, and you could spend a lot of money doing that. So that's a, that's a big deal. The other thing with, with this process that we talk about, this system for managing, you know, if you look at staff meetings, okay, which all of us have gone to, um, I can tell you the majority of ones in my early career were like this. You go in the room and everybody's, what are you working on? What are you working on? What are you working on? To me, that's a little bit reactive, what do you work on means you're already doing it, right? Versus kind of looking at radar or, or the metrics and, and being proactive. So in other words, rather than going around saying, what are you working on, what are you working on, what, what, what you see happens is people now have metrics and initiatives, and that's really what you review at these meetings. Everyone can look at everyone else's metrics. Everyone can look at everyone else's initiatives and see where they are how the, the metrics are doing, and how, and, and how you're doing on your initiative to get you to where you need to go, right? So, I mean, that to me is what, what will drive your success. So, Very just my opinion. Wonderful. Um, so what's next for you guys? Um, what's kind of new in your, in your practices and, in, and in, your, in your work? What are you working sure. on now? Sure. I'm the interim chief operating officer at Woodard Consulting, as uh, you mentioned at the start of the show. <clears throat> and Woodard Consulting is um, you know, part of a, um, a, it's affiliated with a few other companies that basically is in the space of uh, training and conferences and development around uh, QuickBooks advisors and for, for Intuit. And the consulting division that, that I'm effectively running right now, we do a few things. We do implementations of QuickBooks with other um, ERP and CRM systems, but then we're also um, working with larger enterprises who want to do marketing and channel development into the Intuit space. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> like I said, I'm the interim COO, and <clears throat> um, it, you know, we're, there's a lot going on there. But so I may or may not uh, stay there, but it's uh, it's going very well. We're we're growing. We're we're signing up lots of uh, new uh, statements of work. I've been working with Scott uh, as well um, while I'm doing this because I'm, I'm also a consultant. And we've been, uh, like I said earlier also, uh, we're talking with private equity firms uh, about wireless services and wireless infrastructure. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. What about you, Scott? Well, for me, it's, 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 kind, of a, it's kind of a couple things. First is, you know, I would say, um, you know, whenever you leave a, a, a successful role, um, you know, people are going to call you up and ask you, you know, you want to take this on or that on. So I, I've looked at a few of those things, and but but kind of consistently, what I've been doing is there, there's a I was approached by a few PE firms about, you know, kind of, uh, you know, do you want to take a look at this wireless space? So I've been doing this for a while. Um, we actually just um, offered a company offered to buy a company with a, with a formal LOI uh, yesterday. So um, something's going on with that, but. At the same time, while, I'm, while I've been kind of leading and working on that, and, and that takes a lot of travel and a lot of kind of looking at a lot of companies, a lot of analysis and things like that. 
So that, that keeps me kind of busy. But on the other side, you know, I just got a call, for example, yesterday. And, and uh, a, a private equity firm that I'm not, because of an NDA, I'm not at liberty to mention right now. But they called me and said, you know, look, we have this problem. And what do you think about taking this one on? So that happens, you know, a relative, you know, relatively often. And, and a lot of times it's not the right thing for you to take on. Um, but, but this thing, for example, yesterday was very, very, very interesting. And I'm, I'm looking at So I'm kind of running down two tracks. I've learned that you want to take on the right thing, not the quick thing. You know, you want, you want to take on the right, the right role. You know, there's certain things I look for. I, I really do look for opportunity. Um, it's kind of funny. When I first took over uh, Generation Mortgage Company, I was meeting with all the employees the first day. And I, I opened it up to questions. And this, this uh, lady said to me, well, Scott, um, I Googled you. And in one article, it said you actively go looking for trouble <laughs> or problems. <laughs> and I said, okay. Um, I, I said, well, first of all, I didn't say that. Someone else said that, right? Yeah. And, but the truth is I do look for opportunity. In other words, if something's not going well, I, I kind of like that. I, 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 you know, if something's going really well... I'm not sure you need me. I, I like to go into stuff that's at one level, and, and whether it's average and they want to get great or they're doing poorly and they need to get back to average or great. My point is I like taking on – those things are kind of uh, motivating to me. I, I like to do that. So I, I look more for those situations than I do, hey, look, we've been doing this. We, we just want to grow it or something like that. I'd rather go to something that says, hey, we've got issues and we need somebody you know, that knows how to do this. So Great. And so if folks are interested in finding out more about your system for managing or anything else that they've heard from you, how can they get in touch with you, Keith? The best way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn, uh, Keith McNulty. Um, Thanks. Yep. I, I'd say the go? same thing. I'd okay. say go on LinkedIn, Scott Peters. I'm, I, I accept most of the requests I get. So. All right. Great. Well, that's good to know. And thank you guys so much for a great show. Thank you. Thank you, Sweeney. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.